Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Strong AF X Well Conditioned Show with your host, Jason Brown, where each week Jason teaches you how to get yourself and your clients brutally strong and, of course, well conditioned. What's up, everyone? Jason here for another episode of Strong AF X Well Conditioned. Today, we're talking about how to build general physical preparedness, GPP. So when I started off with online training, I was working with only CrossFit boxes. And I think just about every box I talk to, every coach I talk to, the goal would always be GPP. What is your number one goal for your clients? It's to build GPP. And the other side of it was I would traditionally see things that I wouldn't associate with GPP. Now, I think this is one of those debates that you could go back and forth on. And to say that someone is wrong, I, I personally don't like that stance. I don't like telling someone that they're not smart because they do certain things a certain way. But I do think that there is a wrong and a right way to build GPP. And I think that there is a vital part of this component missed when you skip a step. Now, what do I mean by skipping a step? When you are prioritizing higher skill things that involves a level of skill to get the desired benefit, then there's a disconnect. People are not going to get the benefits if they don't have that skill intact. So I would often use the analogy, what is easier for someone to do, to push or pull a sled or to do a full snatch and a handstand push-up? And obviously, the former is going to be a lot more conducive to 9 out of 10 people that walk into your gym or 9 out of 10 people that you work with. So if you don't prior, if you prioritize one of the other, then you know there's going to be a trade-off. So if you prioritize the sled work, you're going to constantly be building people's base and they're constantly going to be getting better. And they're not going to be limited by their lack of skill. So if my client does not know how to snatch, but she can basically walk and with some resistance, then she's going to get a lot more from that than she would if I just said, okay, let's just focus on building the snatch. And there are many schools of thought, well, coaching and functional patterns, and you should be able to teach someone how to do that and, and motor control and yada, yada, yada. I get that. But I'm looking at the biggest return on investment for most people. And if I'm working with someone remotely or if I'm working with CrossFit gyms, then there is a lot that I don't know. So when you boil this down, what is GPP? GPP is to me building the foundation. It is building the foundation of our house. And as Louis says, a pyramid is only as big as its base. When we build a big base, we can do more things. We can improve our resilience, resiliency. We can improve our work capacity, aerobic fitness. Aerobic capacity is our ability to recover, whether it be between training sessions or it be between sets. Aerobic capacity is also our ability to do anaerobic work. So there's connections there between all three energy systems. Our aerobic system is really the base of it. So I would I would kind of put that into the same equation as GPP. GPP is aerobic fitness too. GPP is general strength. So there are a lot of things that could essentially constitute GPP. However, I would, I would argue that higher skill modalities are not the best thing to build GPP. So again, take that for what it is. You can disagree with me, but at the end of the day, I am thinking about low hanging fruit and that is building that base, our foundation. And again, those are gonna come by way of the things that we just discussed and that's gonna play out really the same way across multiple populations, whether you are an experienced athlete or you are someone that is just getting into training. So for the purposes of what I wanna talk about today, GPP is developed effectively through a number of different means. And some of the things that I, I always lean back on are loaded carries in the sled, or maybe just a cyclical measure. And 
over the years, these are things that are tried and true. I've been using these things for, I mean, really, as long as I've been a coach, almost two decades. And there's been some nuances that have changed. I'm going to link two articles in the show notes. The first one is an article I wrote for Elite FTS. Uh, I actually don't even remember the date on it, but it was 2019 I wrote this article. And we talked a lot about how we do this in a group setting and why we prioritize certain things and so on and so forth. Feel free to check that out. It's a great article. Um, but I've even kind of simplified it even more with the present article that I'm also going to link in the show notes about different ways to achieve GPP and do it in a way that is not going to get lost in translation, whether you're working with someone online or you're working with someone in person. And additional benefit is having some novelty, having some things that can change up your programming, keep things exciting. And again, put people in the right position to make progress without burning out. So I've boiled this down to five foundational modalities to develop general physical preparedness. And the five things are carries, kettlebell work, the sled, which could be pulling or pushing or combination, a cyclical measure, and then some combination style methods. And uh, a sixth category would be a combination of maybe all five of these or maybe one to two or three of these things. And I'm going to give you some examples that you can see in the article. So these are the things I found to be most effective over the year. And I'm going to give you some examples, but I want to get some, some caveats out of the way. First and foremost, you can do any of these things exclusively as their own training modality. You don't have to necessarily combine them. You could do loaded carries as its own standalone measure. Now, when can loaded carries happen? Loaded carries can happen on a conditioning day for longer durations. They can happen on a strength day for shorter durations. So you're not limited by one or the other. They can be done on either days. Now, the sled would be one of those things too that can that can essentially go both ways. You can do heavier sled work on a strength day. You can do lighter sled, walk, sled work on a conditioning day. And obviously how you deliver it and how you vary how it's programmed with sets, reps, and rest intervals would change, you know, would be different on the two of those days. Again, there's a different emphasis. So know why you're using any one of these modalities on a given day. Now, kettlebell work, same deal. You can use it for conditioning. You could also use it for strength work. Now, there are different patterns that I would bias on different days. For instance, if I was going to do a swing on a conditioning day, it would likely be a moderate to, you know, moderate to heavy load, obviously, depending on the person for higher repetitions. And if I was going to use a really heavy swing, we could certainly use that on a strength day. You could even use a swing, an explosive swing as a primer on any of your strength days. So again, you're seeing that there's a lot of crap crossover here between some of these modalities. Now, cyclical work is its own thing. I'm not going to prescribe cyclical work on a strength emphasized day. Cyclical work is going to be done on a conditioning day only, whether it be anaerobic development or it be aerobic development. More so, more times than not in my programming, it's going to be for aerobic development. I don't program a ton of anaerobic work, to be honest, especially with the air bike. Now, if I was going to, that would bring out a whole new set of rules. And there are different things that we could consider with that. I'm not going to go get into that too much today because that could essentially be its own podcast. Now, going to our last category, sled plus a carry. This tends to be more of an aerobic, longer duration method, but not to say you couldn't do it with heavier loads on a strength day. You certainly could. And I have done it that way. Um, so the really the key takeaway here is know exactly why you are using the method you're using and know exactly where it should be based on that why. If it's for conditioning, 
keep it with conditioning. If it's for strength, keep it with strength and vary the loading, vary the intensity, vary the duration, vary the rest interval based on that. Really important to know this stuff. You should always know why you're plugging something in into your program. If you don't know why, then that is another thing that you should be looking into, understanding why this stuff is where it is, because you're going to get more from this if you're putting the stuff in the right places for the right reasons. So to give you some examples, I love the loaded carry done on a conditioning day. And this would be essentially a day between my main strength sessions. I love it paired with a sled push or even a kettlebell variation. And this is going to be longer durations. I've given you an example of using 10 rounds of 20 seconds on 40 off. Someone will say, well, it's only 20 seconds. Isn't that more anaerobic? But think about the rest interval only being 40 seconds, not full recovery. This is going to be more sustainable work that you can do across a longer duration workout. If you were to do this on a strength day, then you could essentially pick one of those modalities. Maybe it's a backward sled drag. Maybe you do 10 rounds of it. Um, and it's essentially, you know, 60 yards of work with 60 to 90 seconds of rest with a really heavy load. That's going to be very different than using a three exercise conditioning piece with a with a very short rest interval. So that's one way that you can use it. Sled and loaded carry to me, the combination of the two, you know, give you a very simplistic example, a 20 minute AMRAP, a hundred foot sled push with a moderate load, a hundred foot farmer carry with a moderate load with 60 to 90 seconds between rest. In that particular scenario, someone would be shooting for about, you know, seven to 10 rounds total. And again, very sustainable. It should be done in a way that they can repeat that work across all those sets with that set rest interval. If they find themselves not recovered or you find yourself not recovered, then maybe the loading is too heavy or maybe you need to increase the rest interval just slightly, but it's probably a mismatch in loading. So just know that the loading for a conditioning day should be lighter and it should be with the intent of having a longer duration set. And in this case, you're looking at about 60 to 90 seconds of work and then about 60 to 90 seconds of rest, so one-to-one. -one. So that's one example. Now, if you wanted to vary things a little bit, you could certainly do a combination of a sled and a carry. So a sled pull farmer carry, sled pull wheelbarrow, sled pull front rack, sled pull overhead, and you could go for a set distance per time, like 400 meters. And if you're going for 400 meters, let's just say you're doing a sled pull plus a wheelbarrow for 400 meters, you're looking at about eight to 12 minutes, depending on the grade, depending on the loading, depending on you, it's going to be about eight to 12 minutes of work. So still an aerobic measure. If you wanted longer duration, obviously you could do that, but you're still looking at about 60 to 90 seconds of nonstop work. And you're likely going to stop and rest for 60 to 90 seconds. That's how I've seen it play out for most people. Um, and that's a good rule of thumb with that style of work. Now, what I'm getting at here is that a lot of these conditioning methods, these GPP centered methods usually work with about 60 to 90 seconds of work and 60 to 90 seconds of rest. Now, if we start throwing in some mixed kettlebell work, where maybe you're using a kettlebell thruster and a swing, and then maybe an air bike sprint, you've got some, uh, you've got some movements that are going to spike the heart rate higher than all of the aforementioned work. So in that case, you can bump that rest interval up to one to three and have it play out very well with your sustainability. And it's not going to be as intensive on the nervous system as a high intensity conditioning piece. This is still longer duration work where we're thinking about anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes of total work that includes your rest intervals. So that is going to be a key piece of the puzzle is the sustainability of it. Now, if I did air bike sprints and a kettlebell thruster for max effort sets, then of course I would need 
longer rest intervals. And then we would rely probably more on the anaerobic system, depending on how long it is, anaerobic systems. But in this case, where we want this to be more aerobically demanding, you want to make sure that you're prescribing the right RPE, which would be for most people around an eight, which is hard, but it's sustainable. I always say hard, but sustainable. So keep in mind that that could be a viable method for the right person. Let's say they're really well-versed in the Olympic list and maybe they you know, want to mix things up and use the kettlebells. That's something I use quite a bit with my guys and a lot of the clients I work with. I'll mix in some mixed modality style conditioning where we use the cyclical piece, we'll use a kettlebell piece, and then we can even throw a carry in there as well. So you're really only limited by your imagination with this stuff. So overall, just to recap, you've got five categories to choose from. Just make sure that number one, you know why you're using what you're using, whether it be for strength or it be for conditioning. Number two, make sure that the rest interval is in line with the work interval. So usually about one-to-one, -one, but if you program in some mixed kettlebell work, you might need to bump that up. If you program in a globally demanding pattern like a thruster, you might need to bump that rest interval up and then make sure that the RPE is hard but sustainable with that style of work. These conditioning sessions, should not impair your ability to train in any of your strength sessions. So if you find yourself not recovered, then you probably went too hard or maybe you had too many global patterns. Um, that's you know another key piece of the thing. Don't you know plug in all the hardest movement patterns and then expect that you know you're going to be able to recover with one to one work to rest. You might need more rest. But my key really takeaway here is that this work should be sustainable. It should add to your quality of training. It should build your aerobic capacity, building the base of that pyramid as we've discussed, and do so in a way that you, you, know, you shouldn't have any delayed onset muscle soreness from this work. You should be restored and feel good to train in your next strength session. It shouldn't be like, okay, I'm, I'm hurting from this work. And usually what I see is that the people that don't have great recovery, or maybe for some of my older athletes, I will program more sled work for them and, and not lean on things like kettlebell work or, or global patterns. I will use more sled style work because it's less axial loading and it puts them in a position to facilitate recovery further. So again, you've got to know why you're using what you're using and you have to know why it is the right method for the right person. I've given you some categories. I've given you some things to kind of spark your imagination, but the key piece of this puzzle is knowing where it should go and how to plug it in at the right time for the right people with the right sets, reps, and rest intervals. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Check out the linked articles, a lot of good information in there. And if you're interested in learning more about programming, a system of programming and knowing why you're doing what you're doing, check out, I've got my download in here. It is a download of, of my system of writing, a five-step process of writing training programs. Again, the key piece of the puzzle is knowing why, but having a structure to set up your training programs in a way that you can plug and play these methods in and have the right amount of recovery in between those sessions is going to be key to your success as both an individual as well as if you're a coach. This was another episode of Strong AF X Well Conditioned Show. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on all podcast platforms. 